apparently this is the highlight of some people's week, you said. I think yep. you just made that up. <laughs> no, it's true. Okay, it's true. well, those people are in for a treat with this tax. I get talk. a lot of comments about it. It's all good, I promise right. you. Now, the eviction campaign it began this week, of course, National Under Fire over the credibility of its tax plan straight away. Well, not straight away. That was sort of the point of my... Uh, story on Media Watch on Sunday that this has been a bit of an interesting turnaround from the media on the tax plan that was uh, quite a positive response actually straight away and I was a bit critical of some of the coverage that primarily praised the PR job that National was doing uh, rather than cutting through the spin and delving more into its potential flaws. So here's one clip that I highlighted. This is a masterclass in political marketing. National has taken what is, in reality, a $25 a week tax cut for most middle earners, doubled it into a couple, doubled it into a fortnight, slapped their childcare subsidy in there, and all of a sudden they have a $250 figure to slap all over the billboards. They now that's Jenna Lynch on News Hub praising what she called a masterclass of uh, political marketing. She also said it was a genius uh, move by National. But I will give her credit. She she obviously did spell out what was really going on there. It's just the framing was as a masterclass and a genius move. But things certainly changed after that. Yeah, including on News Hub. So this is Jenna Lynch mm. this week who you heard in the clip above, and she has been keeping the heat on National over what turned out to be some quite wobbly revenue projections from its online gambling and foreign buyers taxes that it was proposing to prop up that tax plan. Here she is on Tuesday, noting that $890 million of the $3.1 billion National says it's going to use to pay for those tax cuts is coming uh, from these areas that many experts are dubious about. Both of those policies have big question marks hanging over them, but they won't even entertain the idea that they might have missed something, despite tax experts telling them so. National keeps telling us they can be trusted to run the economy. Well, trust is earned, get the taxes right, and we'll go from there. A masterclass, no more, it appears, once you do, do a bit of digging. So it seems like some reporters might have jumped the gun just a bit. Uh, I suppose it's the normal reaction. Then you look at the detail and come up that uh, things aren't quite as they seem. I think, that. I think that's true. And it really does show the perils of looking at the marketing first rather than trying to glean as much information as you can. So mm. I talked to the business desk journalist, Daniel Brunskill, uh, on the weekend. And I'll note he... Uh, for any journalist listener, uh, listening in, he is, he's much more likable and more positive about you than I am. So please don't hate him. But he was praising, he said that praising the marketing of a policy in the first instance is putting the cart before the horse. And we should explain it first, observe the reaction as the electorate starts to understand it, and then cover that reaction. And so the, ca the caveat here is that sometimes it is hard to get a good handle on what the electorate actually thinks of stuff without a few decent polls. You know, it can be like putting a chicken intestine up to the light and divining what it says, and that's actually much of our political commentary. It sort of has more in co common with witchcraft and divining than anything else. But, I mean, I think that the last few days has sort of proved his point and illustrated the folly of praising how something has been spun before you've really 
analyze the nitty-gritty of the detail. And sometimes you might end up saying something's a political Lamborghini when in fact it's just an old dunger with a fancy exterior once you uh, look under the hood. And I note that other journalists, and lots of journalists actually, have been doing that metaphorical looking under the hood, including New Hub's Amelia Wade, who has been digging into the details of the proposed foreign buyers and online gambling taxes. And she recently broke the news, actually this week, that the, the gambling tax is currently illegal and will not need a law change to install and she asked Christopher Luxon Nicola Willis what uh, the party would do if it couldn't raise the revenue forecast in its plan and she got this response from Luxon What is your backstop? Is it broken promises? Is it borrowing? Or is it cuts? Well, What it is is we are absolutely rock solid and confident in our assumptions and our modelling and our delivery and so we will deliver our tax relief plan to New Zealanders No plan B with billions of dollars on the line. Amelia Wade, News Hub. So that rock solid line, it, it's becoming a bit more common, isn't it? It seems to be quite a common refrain from Christopher Luxon and, and National over the last few days. Yeah, I think it's the new squeezed middle, to be honest, Mark. It's sort of a way of just, yeah. I think they're uncomfortable with the tax questions and it's sort of like, uh, blocking it with a straight black bat and they just say rock solid, hopefully they'll eventually give up. It's yeah. a new phrase du jour. So all of this was discussed on AM's political panel today, which featured Patrick Gower, the PR professional, Trish Sherson as well. And Gower had this to say to presenter Laura Tupo about the tactics behind that rock solid response. When I asked how will you pay for this if you don't get the money from the foreign taxes and, and you don't get the money from the gambling... Because I'll will. tell you what their tactic is. It's this. It's keep going. Just say we're going yeah. to until something else comes along. Yeah. If we have to go for one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, we'll just say we're going to do it, and we reckon that we'll just get through. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably some... But Patrick Gower knows these sorts of things. He spent a long time in the gallery. That's pretty interesting analysis. Probably is what's going on. Uh, but that's not the reason I'm playing you that clip. So it's not is, for Patrick Gower's insider take on politics, I have to I have to admit. So, come on, reveal all. What is the real reason? Come on, Hayden. We can... Well, I'll tell you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. well, this, discussion, this discussion ended up going into what was, frankly, a very weird place. Yeah. It was remarkable listening, to be honest with you. And it diverted from the talk of Nationals' weakness. They said that that would benefit Winston Peters. And I know that the octopus that is Winston Peters <laughs> that puts a tentacle out here and grabs votes here and a tentacle out here that grabs votes here, a tentacle out there and grabs 0.5% <laughs> from there, the octopus is being allowed to live. And if you want the Winston Peters octopus, the political octopus, to die, you have to keep the tentacles in. And at the moment, the political environment is letting them out. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just going... saying, watch out, New Zealand, the octopus is coming back. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. You've got to keep the tentacles in. I th- See, this is the thing. A lot of these journalists go on to do media training for the politicians. And, th- I mean, that's some, that would be some unique advice there, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, you'd remember that one. You, ha- you have to keep the tentacles in. You have to kill the octopus. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, I loved it. It was, it, was ve- it was deeply strange. I don't know where it came from. But somehow that wasn't actually the end of the discussion. And from there it transitioned into Ryan Bridge, another presenter, telling a lengthy, it has to be said, story about having diarrhoea in a North Shore mall bathroom, exiting the stall and running straight into Winston Peters, who was exiting the stall next door to him. Apparently he apologised. They shook hands. Yuck, I have to say. (laughs) They had a selfie. uh, And Gower... Had a selfie in the loo. They had a selfie in the loo. I 
it was a, a disturbing story to be honest. But Gower <laughs> added that every time Winston Peters is in the mall, in his observation, that Winston Peters orders a butter chicken from the food court. So all in all, really entertaining stuff. Good facts. Uh, perhaps a, a little bit light on incisive number crunching analysis, though. But I don't want to be too dry about this. It can't all be informational veggies. Mm. Sometimes you've got to have a bit of butter chicken as well, and hopefully you don't find yourself next to Winston Peters in a mall toilet. I might be stretching the analogy myself a little bit here. I think we could move on from that. Awful images. Octopodes aside, um, it it wasn't all well tough analysis for National over the weekend, eh? No, it wasn't. And just before we move on, is it octopodes? Uh, I, 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 text, I took a punt on that. Text two, no, I mean text octopodes. two one oh one. If you is it octopodes? Is it octopi or is it octopuses? Well, uh, yeah, no, I think it's octopuses actually. It is octopuses. I think so. Okay, well we're I'm sure very I've sorry octopuses to before. All the listeners out there, if, yeah. if you do, if anyone Look, knows for sure, please we'll text in. What is it? Two one oh one. Yeah. So no, it wasn't all. Uh, Tough analysis for National at all. And we had News Talk ZB's Afternoons host, Heather DuPlessis-Allen, turning in a column in the weekend for the Herald. And she said that Willis had just passed the job interview of her life and that she had played the politics perfectly. And DuPlessis-Allen noted, just as an aside, that there was no way that National will get the $740 million a year it's banking on from the 15% tax on foreign buyers. And that it's online gambling tax. Yeah, of course. It's a bit ludicrous, but that doesn't matter because that can be brushed off because National is the front runner, and we and we kind of overlook this kind of stuff when you're a front runner. But is, it's kind of the case that the public only brushes this sort of stuff off if the media brushes it off, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say that is the retort. I think some columnists and reporters can present themselves as somehow outside of the political domain, just watching over it from a mm-hmm. god's eye view, when they're really powerful actors within the political domain with the ability to shape perceptions and actually define what people care about in their own way. And I don't think that's necessarily that that perspective they adopt is necessarily because of bias or anything like that. I think it's more so something that the, that the MIT journalism lecturer uh, Jay Rosen calls the savvy style in political journalism. And I drew on this in the weekend as well. I just want to draw, a, 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 put a little bit of extra flesh on the bones of it. And mm. basically the savvy style is our political reporter's tendency to prioritise explaining political tactics and prognostic, prognosticating on how things will play with voters rather than saying how things will affect people in reality. It's a, it's a kind of coverage. Once you know it, you can see it everywhere that might say, you know, this is great politics. Oh, bad policy, but great politics. Or this is great marketing mm. rather than, you know, here's the truth underneath the marketing. And once you start recognizing it, you do see it all over the place. And mm. part of the reason I think it's so appealing to political journalists is because it appeals to their conception of neutrality. It makes them feel like they're not really making judgments. They're just observers yeah, of the yep. game. Mm-hmm. When really they're meant to be our interlocutors in the game, mm-hmm. they're meant to be our advocates, they're meant to be telling us what's actually happening and whether what's happening is going to be any good for us. Uh, but to them, that's objectivity. But real objectivity, I don't think, is floating above an issue and not making any judgments mm-hmm. either way. It's considering all of the arguments and being that advocate, trying to tell your audience the truth as best you can. And that's the end of my sermon for the week. 
and I can answer the question. The three plurals for octopus come from different ways the English language adopts plurals. Octopi is the oldest, octopuses was the next plural, and giving the word an English ending to match its adoption as an English word. And finally, octopodes stem from the belief that because octopus is originally Greek, it should have a Greek ending. So there you go. Well, I feel no closer to knowing what to use, but I also well, you can feel use like whatever you damn like. information than I did. <laughs> you can always trust the RNZ or, or audience to give you some Come really up. good information on octo- octopodes, octopi, or octopuses. Okay, fair enough. Now, obviously, not everyone's been so sanguine about the issues with the party's tax plan. Jack Tame, he gave them a pretty thorough once over at the weekend. Oh yeah, there were some lashings for the politicians on Q and A. This weekend, Jack Tame, he's always an impressive political interviewer, and this weekend's show was particularly good. And after the first break, he interviewed National's finance spokesperson, Deputy Leader Nicola Willis, and things did get a little bit tense when he questioned some of the assumptions behind National's foreign buyers tax. So here's that segment. In 2018, before the foreign buyer ban was lifted, Mm -hmm. how many purchases as a percentage of overall purchases in New Zealand did foreign buyers represent? I don't have that number right okay, now. Okay, I, I do. It's 3%, right? So so if the average price for houses that you're going to sell is going to be 2.9, I've rounded up to $3 million, right? Mm-hmm. So if the average price is, is um, $3 million, even though in 2018 they were just 3% of buyers, mm. they would have to represent 28% of buyers. Well, in that top tier. So no, 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 no. The point is that for your numbers to work, you have to increase the number of foreign buyers almost tenfold from 2018 before that ban was lifted. That's fantastical. No, Jack, that is not the case. Now, it kind of was slightly the the case, as it turns out. Pretty (laughs) intense (laughs) political interviewing there, but it wasn't only National or Willis coming under the microscope on Q&A this weekend. Chris Hipkins, the Prime Minister, also appeared, and he received what I thought was one of the toughest and honestly longest questions I've heard recently, and here it is in full. Labour came to power six years ago, promising to tackle the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. Kiwi Build, we all agree, was a disaster. Houses today are more expensive relative to incomes in New Zealand than they were when you took over. And before we blame COVID, they were also more expensive relative to incomes before the COVID property boom. You promised to tackle the mental health crisis. The head of the Mental Health Foundation said this at the end of last year, quote, the transformation of mental health is failing. Things are overall getting worse, not better. And climate change. The light rail you promised would be in Mount Roskill two years ago still doesn't have a single inch of track. Agriculture still isn't paying for its emissions. And as Prime Minister, your first action was to reinstate a tax cut for fossil fuels. Your last was to oversee a $236 million raid on the climate fund. You have had six years in government. You've lost numerous cabinet members to scandal and incompetence. And when we consider that record heading into the campaign, why should anyone think a future Labour government has the capacity to deliver on its promises? Well, I'm sure you'll let me go through each of those one at a time now, Jack. Thank you. 45, that's a minute, that question. One full minute. <laughs> Heck of a question. He actually well, did go through most of them one by one to Jack and uh, Chris Hipkins and Nicola Willis also gave an, uh, an answer above that kind of addressed the question. But 
Sheesh, uh, quite the contrast with some of the coverage the party's got just praising their clever politics, mm. right? It was really incisive and excoriating content, really. And it's worth noting again that this is popular. Q&A's ratings, they've been good with Tame as presenter, mm. and the programme has become a bit of a launching ground for policy for our major political parties multiple times this year. Mm. Now, we were talking about bias before. The Herald received accusations of bias and political skullduggery, in fact, after allowing a contentious ad to be plastered over its front page. Yes, this one was... A highly controversial decision by the Herald to allow this full page ad, particularly when you've got a huge contest coming up, two sides competing for national attention and the affection of New Zealanders. And I'm talking, of course, about the paper's decision on Tuesday to plaster its front page with an ad containing the words, Up the Wars. And is this, an, uh, is this an insult, Mark, to our brave All Blacks who are right now in France preparing for the opening match of the World Cup? Uh, this, this seems to be evidence, I'd say, of massive pro-league <laughs> bias at our largest national paper. Well, perhaps I think most people have been more concerned with another front page here, the, the wraparound ad. You know what? I mean, it's possible that you're right there because there was another wraparound ad this week that did attract some headlines, and that was Nationals been pretty upset about a relatively personal attack ad about Chris Luxon put together by the Council of Trade Unions, mm. and it was plastered across the New Zealand Herald's front page on Monday. Mm. And that has caused the Herald to face quite a bit of blowback, I suppose, for accepting it. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a personal ad. It says out of touch, uh, too risky or something like that. And a, a lot of the people that saw it tuned into the Herald's sister radio station, the NZME owned News Talk ZB, to complain. So here's its mid morning host, Kerry Woodham, defending the paper against her irate listeners. Still, that's democracy. And if citizens and ratepayers decided to put something out about Hipkins' inability to be an effective Prime Minister, then I'm quite sure the Herald would take the money and wrap the ad around the newspaper. You've got to survive in the media. You've got to take the ads. Now, another of its hosts, Andrew Dickens, wasn't so sure. He had a different stance, saying taking the money, surviving, as Woodham suggested, would actually end up being a net loss for the Herald because it'll annoy people so much that they'll cancel their subscriptions. I think that this is news. This is why I'm talking about it on the radio. It's not my... It's my company, but I'm not involved with this decision. It's another branch over there. And I think they need to write about it and say how they actually determine who gets the wraparounds, you know. And, and here's the other thing. This has been... This, this will probably backfire on, on the Herald, uh, to be fair, because... Here we go. Here's a text right now. I have cancelled my subscription to the New Zealand Herald because of the ad on the front cover. To say this has nothing to do with the Labour Party is nonsense. Now, that texter wasn't alone. Others also called in or texted to complain, with at least one comparing it to Nationals Dancing Cossacks ad from the 1975 election. And I'd note they weren't alone on News Talk ZB and thinking it was a little bit uncomfortable. You had Newsroom founder, former Herald editor Tim Murphy, also seeming a little bit uncomfortable with the decision to sell the full front page uh, for this ad posting that the medium is the message and on X, knee, Twitter, the former Twitter. Mm. He also noted that the Herald app and website is taking lots of ads for reality check radio, which, mm. of course, could siphon some listeners away from News Talk ZB. So also self-defeating as well as taking these mm. controversial ads. 
Has the Herald responded? Yeah, it's had to. Audrey Young, their senior political writer, addressed the controversy in her newsletter Politics Briefing. She said, for those of you shocked by yesterday's union advertisement against Christopher Luxon on the front page of the New Zealand Herald, I would say first, advertising has been the Herald's core business since 1863, just as journalism has been. It was clearly labelled an ad and it helps to pay the wages of journalists. And she also urged people to take in some of the Herald's other politics coverage, which just so happened to include a lengthy profile of Luxon by political editor Claire Trevette. So how about that argument? Is that just sympathetic? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too comfortable pouring scorn from my publicly <laughs> funded chair and my publicly funded station on a commercial organisation doing what it has to do to survive, to survive uh, particularly given times are pretty tough, as I hear right now in the ad market. Mm. Uh, I... On the other hand, I do think Andrew Dickens and Tim Murphy have something of a point about the reputational risk of this particular type of ad. It's not taking an ad from the CTU or anything like that, just because this one really did look like a front page. Mm. It was quite hard to distinguish from a front page. Uh, it's like one of those Harvey Norman wraparound ads, but it almost looks like the front page of the Herald. Uh, and you could fool people into thinking you've firmly inserted yourself on one side of a highly partisan political mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's pretty common overseas. You see papers actually endorsing parties in places like the UK and Australia. I think, thankfully, we haven't had that tradition here. New Zealand papers have never done that. And we, we probably don't have a big enough market for just having a national and a Labour paper, to be honest. Mm. And I think it's just a, a calculation of what's worth more. The the short-term money, the big the big money from the, the ad running, or those slightly nebulous longer-term risks of aligning, seeming to be aligned with a particular side. And in general, I think sometimes to their great detriment, honestly, when they've done stuff like chased short-term clicks to the detriment of their brand, mm. uh, media organisations, I think, have generally prioritise the here and now over the possible future. So should they have made the ad more like an ad? I mean, perhaps made it more obvious that it was an ad rather than looking like a front page. Yeah, or accepted it on a full page inside the yeah. paper or something like that. I, I, I would say that those ads on the front page command a premium and that mm. is for a reason and it's because they look like a front page and yeah. they distract, they're on the newsstands, they're the first thing people see. Exactly. Uh, giving that to a really highly partisan ad does come with that sort of risk. Now you actually thought another Herald editorial decision was a bit more questionable. Yeah, yeah. I was genuinely unhappy with this one. It had a story, and it was just the the. Uh, I'll, I'll actually get the headline up. Sorry, I don't have the head. Ugly Auckland state housing PR bosses lashes, PR bosses lash. Oh, it should be PR boss lashes out at design of new development. I was actually reading the headline right, but the headline is wrong. Oh. Uh, I for one thing, this is just one guy's opinion on a house that's not even finished yet. He's not even a prominent PR boss, John Boyd. He's got a small PR firm. The houses aren't finished yet. And it's just one guy's opinion. For instance, like Colin Peacock doesn't like cats. Does he get his own Herald story to say that Colin Peacock doesn't like cats? I think that's notable. But he does, I, it, it, to me, it just seems like rage baiting, inviting people to hate on state housing. It's just trying to get harvest those clicks and comments, which is, I think, quite actually destructive, to be honest, especially when all of our major political parties acknowledge we definitely and desperately need more state housing in this country. Mm -hmm. Right, Big waiting list. 
on that. Don't know if you've heard. Yeah, I think there might be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, new podcasts. Um, what's the latest in that in media news? We've we've got some. Yeah, lots new of podcasts. Launched. We've got Tova launching Tova. Tova O'Brien. Uh, Flavor of the month. The old podcast. Yeah, the, the big new Jeez. thing, Mark. You mm. would you would not believe. Uh, yeah. This is the promo for Tova. Yes, we're in the middle of an election campaign and I have a very low tolerance for spin and very high expectations of our politicians. But we want to cover stories that are important to you, that have an impact, that create meaningful change. We'll be robust, sometimes very robust, but we won't take ourselves too seriously. I've been in politics a long time because I love it. Okay, that's Tova's promo. We also have another recently launched podcast, Three Gals, One Beehive, which features Georgina Stiliano, uh, Bridget Morden, and Holly Bennett talking to party leaders, it seems, political figures. And they had Chris Luxon on their last episode, which was their second. And that one's produced by Brody Kane's podcast network, which is called Brody Kane Media. At NZME, you've got Heather Duplessis-Allen talking to her husband, Barry Soper, uh, old business guy, Phil O'Reilly, and Richard Hills about uh, politics and the lead-up to the election. Their podcast is called The Front Bench. That's launching. And these are all well and good, but the podcast that's actually gone a bit viral for its politics content lately is a non-political one hosted by the former MyFM hosts, uh, Brooke Rusco and Jordan Rivers, and it's called The Morning Shift. It's uh, just their two those two guys venture. So here they are launching into a segment with Chloe Swarbrick of the Greens, Chris Hipkins, Chris Luxon, Luxon David Seymour of ACT and Rawedi Waititi of the Māori Party in that order. These are questions that have been submitted from uh, our listeners to figure out how relatable politicians are, okay? So it's called Relatable or Relatable? It's gone Warriors or Up the Waz? Up the Waz. Up the Waz. Up the Waz. Uh, let's, what did we say? You can see I'm not, I'm no, not, no, not familiar it, with the lingo. It's, it's said wrong, but uh, it's it's the same. Like, let's go Warriors? Yeah, let's go on, but they say let's go on Warriors. All oh, right. So they well, say up the Waz. I'd say let's go on Warriors. I've only just heard Up the Waz today. I, uh, I don't want to end up like um, Nicola Willis talking about Grant Robertson. <laughs> Polo, so I'll just say, let's go, Warriors. I'm a Broncos fan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, he won't even, yeah. even bring himself to say <laughs> it. Yeah. That's Rawiti YTT coming through with some authenticity at the end there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the morning shift, by the way, it's absolutely huge. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's huge. It has 300,000 followers on TikTok, 100,000 on Instagram. It's way more than a lot of major media organizations. Yeah. And uh, it caters for mainly a younger audience who, at the risk of sounding like a crusty old fogey, they increasingly, as we saw from the audience's survey today put out by New Zealand On Air, they get their information from social media, not the old linear radio network on on 101.4 FM. You're sounding like a crusty old fogey. Um, Melting into the chair, (laughs) becoming a cardigan. Uh, we will survive. Now, we all had a, a couple of uh, good news scoops this week as well. Uh, RNZ here. Yeah, uh, well, just quickly before we go, Guy and Espina, he had a really good story about how closely Waikato Uni boss Neil Quigley worked with National on its plan for a new medical school. Lots of emails going forth. Also the involvement of Stephen Joyce, who has paid a million dollars, or his consultancy was paid a million dollars by the uni, which is meant to be pretty cash-strapped. <laughs> Uh, and that that's so that's uh, that's worth seeking out. It's some evidence of some relatively strong political bias, though you'd say, uh, Neil, from Neil Quigley. And mm. I wonder if we have slightly different standards for public entity bosses, given the treatment that Rob Campbell mm. received over his uh, LinkedIn posts. 
with some other good stuff as well over at the NBR, you had Tim Hunter. He had shed new light about Sky City possibly having its license removed, and he was the only one to note that the DIA had censured that company before back in 2020. So maybe that's why they're responding so harshly. And the ODT, it's got an ongoing series about the terrible state of some of the city's boarding houses, and that's in the wake of the Loafers Lodge fire, which of course mm. we said should never happen again. So good on them for keeping the pressure on. Mm. Fantastic. Well, there we go. That is our midweek media watch. Thank you, Hayden. 